1 Peter chapter 4, we will be back there today, verses 12 through 19. You know, I got an email um, quite a few years ago now from an exasperated family member with a very serious question. And the question posted to me, posed to me uh, as a pastor, who apparently is an expert in all things spiritual, this person thought. This was the question. Why did God allow my grandmother to pass away before she got to meet our newborn? So the child was born, and just... A couple weeks after the baby was born, they had plans to go visit grandma, introduce the child to grandma. Well, a couple days prior, grandma had a stroke in the bathroom, laid there for two days until she died, and never got to meet the grandbaby. And so the question came to me, why? God knew. God knew we had plans, right? And God knew, and how, why would he allow my grandmother to suffer like that, to experience that? Good questions, wouldn't you think? Now, probably we would ask some of the same questions. But you know, there are things that happen in life at times that we just can't explain. Even as people of faith, I'm not sure how you'd answer that. I told her just to Google it. No, I'm kidding. I didn't say those are tough questions, uh, even for believers. But it is our faith in the character and sovereignty of God that really helps us hold on through those times of uncertainty, of unanswered questions in the mysteries of life, isn't it? It's just the character of God. God is good all the time. Never does anything that would harm us or wasn't for our good, or for His glory. We know that He's perfect in His character. He's perfect in all His ways. So the question for many of us, including people of faith, is why? Why would God allow undeserved suffering, unjust suffering in our world? I think that very question has derailed many would-be believers. Maybe you know some. People say, I can't believe in a God like that. It's derailed a lot of believers who maybe started off young in their faith and understood and believed a lot early on as a child or even a teen, and then later in life started having some serious questions about what they see versus what they've been told about God. So the question is, if God is all-powerful and if He's all-loving, well, then why? And I've heard people say, well, either He's not powerful enough powerful enough or he just doesn't love enough but that reasoning that they work from uh, can look like this there's this major premise right life is unfair and the minor premise then is God is sovereign in life and that's what a lot of people even think I think God's in control right could have done something their conclusion therefore God's unfair but what if that reasoning's flawed which it is. What, what if we just don't have all the facts? I mean, don't we draw conclusions uh, all the time about people without all the facts, right? 
We do that all the time. We, we judge people at times based on our limited perception of what we think's going on. If you ever doubt that, just get on Burleson Residence Facebook page. I think I mentioned that more from this pulpit. Anyway, but it happens. But so that is true with God, maybe we just need the rest of the story. Maybe we need to see things from God's perspective at times or think about his perspective. Maybe we need more insight than what we see with our eyes, and I think that's the case. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 19, gives us some insight to this. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us insight into the rest of the story. He shares with us the unseen side of our life story. It's starting in verse 12, and he says really that suffering comes standard. It's standard suffering. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing were happening to you. There are a couple important points that Peter makes here. And that first one is just that trials come standard with every life. Not just the small, seemingly insignificant trials of life, but the big ones, the big life-altering trials that many people experience. And he says, don't be surprised when these things come as if some strange thing were happening to you. As if the, we're the only ones on the planet that's going through this right now, right? And have you ever felt that way? I'm sure you have. But he says, don't be surprised when it comes, not if it comes. Because if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, trials always have a point. Peter tells us the point of the trials, and he says that they come upon you. Why? It's there in the text. To test you. That word test means to, to try to learn the nature or character of someone or something by submitting such to thorough and extensive testing. So Peter's saying that our trials are designed by God to put our faith to the test. It's a fiery trial, he says. God turns up the heat through the furnace of life at times to see how much substance is truly there in our faith. Like a, like a furnace is used to refine gold. That's the kind of imagery that I believe he's using there. A furnace is used to refine gold, to burn away the impurities, right? And so God puts us through the fires of life to burn away anything that could be polluting our faith. That's the point of the trial, I think, to produce a, a, a more pure faith, more, more trust in God, more burning away of all the things that are unimportant and distract us from focusing our, our mind on the Lord. I don't know if you thought of this, but James comes to mind when I think of trials and, and various trials, right? And James 1, 2 to 4 say, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So Christian, follower of Jesus this morning, let's remember that when we face trials in life, 
They come standard. No one's exempt. And when we remember that our trials as believers are from God, designed by God, for the purpose of testing and refining our faith, we can stop being surprised by them. I still get surprised all the time. Jairus this morning relayed a story about having car trouble on the highway with all his family, and they, they uh, thought you were very uh, peaceful through that time, right? I would not be the peaceful guy. I'd be, I'd be the ranter. Why is this happening? My car breaking down. But there can come a time when we stop being surprised that a trial's entered our life. We can stop then avoiding trials or, or stop reacting like the world's going to end when we find a trial that's entered our life. Maybe we can even, to some point in our life, embrace them. And I imagine that most of us, when trials happen in our life, that we aren't uh, joyful through the trial, are we? Rarely do I respond with joy when a trial happens in my life. And so we don't consider it all joy, as James tells us to do, at the time of the trial at least. But I think there is a time when we can look back and we can reflect on that trial and we can see how God was at work and how he was showing us something, teaching us something. And then you can consider it all joy because you've learned from the trial. You know more now for next time and you learn to develop and grow your faith through the trials. Did you know that... uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't be surprised by trials. They come standard with every life. But then he says in verses 13 and 14 that there is a certain satisfaction with suffering. When you think about it, he says, but rejoice. Don't be surprised, but instead rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Don't think it's strange, but instead rejoice. Because when we suffer for following Jesus, we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And when we suffer for Christ, we will rejoice and be glad when Jesus returns. When His glory is finally revealed. When God finally makes all things new. He reveals Himself. He reveals everything at that time. We will look forward to that. I think therein lies the satisfaction to our suffering, knowing that it's worth it all. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Peter, again, is looking at the the future reward of suffering for Christ. Notice that the type of suffering is suffering that's directly related to our identification as a Christ follower. For many of our brothers and sisters around the globe, those Fiery trials for the sake of the name of Jesus are very literal. It all, it's always a sobering thought to me that the, the faith that we so freely enjoy in this country, without much opposition, if we're honest, it costs our brothers and sisters around the world dearly. I read this headline this week from Voice of the Martyrs. 
It said, Gaza, pastor. Our faith will not be tested when everything is going fine. Pastor Hanam Assad served the Lord in the face of intense Christian persecution, the article read. He's been threatened. The Bible society where his wife worked was bombed, and he buried a martyred co-worker. Yet he calls it an honor and a privilege to serve the Lord in such circumstances. This is today, folks. This is now. This is a pastor right now in our time in Gaza experiencing this and claiming these things. He's the former pastor of Gaza Baptist Church. His wife, Suhad, led the Bible Society in Gaza. He still gets emotional thinking back to the day when Rami Ayad, who worked for the Bible Society, was kidnapped and later killed. Speaking of his martyred friend, Hanah says, Rami had a wonderful heart. He loved the Lord. And his dedication to the Lord, his family, and the community are wonderful memories, despite the pain and suffering. And then he goes on to share a little bit of his own story of coming to faith in Jesus and how he faced pressure, even as a boy, for being identified as a Christian in Gaza. And he says this, Christians in Gaza live between two fires. Our faith will not be tested when everything's going fine. God allows us to go through the fire to reflect His love to those who don't know Him. Isn't that beautiful? Could we say those same things through the fiery trials of our life? That is the response of faith in the fiery trials of life. A faith that considers it all joy because the spirit of glory and of God rests on that man. That means the same spirit and glory that rested on Jesus through his suffering is with us to enable us to find satisfaction in those trials of life. It's the same spirit. If you recall, that was Peter's response and the other apostles. Do you remember when they were arrested and they were, they were uh, told not to, to preach in the name of Jesus? Listen to this. It says in Acts, after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. Beaten, flogged, guys. That is not fun. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing. Why? That they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's faith. When trials come into our life, how do we respond? To those trials what trials are you enduring right now besides suffering through this sermon are you able when you come through the trial been able to look back with satisfaction and say thank you lord for allowing me to suffer for your name he goes on to remind them that not all trials are created equal. Uh, the third point this morning is that there is a stipulation of suffering in verses 15 and following. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer doer as, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glory God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God, 
And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what would become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's saying not all suffering's the same. Sometimes we suffer because of our own foolish and sinful decisions. Our choices. That's called life, by the way. And Peter gives us a list of all the ways that people suffer through their, their own fault from the most extreme to the most seemingly insignificant. And he's just saying, I mean, this is simple stuff, really. He's like, hey, guys, if you do happen to suffer, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a, a thief or an evildoer. And then he throws in this word, meddler, right? I think he's referring to bet. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no. Met, we, all, we know what a meddler is, right? I'm not going to go into this, but I just find that interesting. You can listen to last week's sermon if you weren't here. <laughs> the title, Mind Your Own Business. But even if you suffer for meddling in other people's business, hey, guess what? That's life. You know? But when you think about it, he's writing to believers. Can believers murder? Uh, yeah. Can they steal? Yeah. Can they do evil or, or be a criminal is the word there? Yeah. They can even meddle in other people's business. Shocking. In other words, if you suffer for doing what's wrong, you get what you deserved. There are consequences to our actions. I suffered incarceration a time in my life as a believer, not because I was some Major Christ follower, I was suffering the consequences of my actions, my sin. I deserved what I got. I got justice. And I think the point is clear. Just because we are Christians does not mean we're exempt from suffering the consequences of our own actions. I heard a phrase recently that stuck with me. I think it's really good, but the phrase was this. Don't expect to pray your way out of a situation that you behaved yourself into. Right? We chase our fleshly desires or we pursue sin or we make bad decisions and then we find ourselves in a, between a rock and a hard place and then we pray, God, get me out of here. Another expression I heard was, you paint yourself into that corner, give the paint time to dry. <laughs> Don't expect to pray your way out of a situation you behaved yourself into. Not to say that God is not gracious ready to rescue, ready to save, all the time. How many times has God bailed us out in those moments, right? But it seems like there are times when we suffer as believers because of our own sinful choices, but yet we just expect that God somehow is going to give us a pass because maybe we're faithful in other things, you know. We compartmentalize our lives. You know, I go to church every week. I mean, I give I'm reading my Bible, but things just always seem to go wrong for me. I always seem to have hardships and struggles. And I mean, I'm stealing from my company at work, and they don't know, and I'm holding grudges against people, and I am a malicious gossip. Other than that, though, God, I'm faithful. If you su suffer for bad behavior, you suffer because you did wrong. Captain Obvious. There you go. Simple point, but I think we need to understand that. I remember years ago hearing this news story that came out, and maybe you remember this. There was a, a Home Depot worker who was fired 
the article claim for wearing a In God We Trust button on his Home Depot apron and filed a lawsuit, religious persecution. And he took that as religious persecution. They don't like my button because it says God on it. Filed a lawsuit. The end of the story, though, is that it wasn't because the button said God. It's because the buttons weren't allowed at all. It was a dress code policy that the company had. Dude, you got fired because you're violating the dress code, and they told you, and you refused. You're not being persecuted because you're this super Christian. You're not following the rules, man. Seems like, you know, he expected something different. So he was justly fired, in my opinion. I don't I've read the articles. It's been many years, but. So there's a different type of suffering that we can experience. Suffering for our own wrong choices. God can still forgive. God can still redeem. God can still rescue. I'm not saying that. But we're not exempt from suffering the consequences of our own actions. But when we suffer for things that are undeserved, it's unjust, and we suffer them because of our commitment to Jesus Christ, that's the different kind of suffering that he's referring to here. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he says, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. There is such a thing as undeserved suffering, suffering that comes by no fault of our own. And so the undeserved suffering that Peter addresses here is suffering directly and specifically because of our Christian faith. The little girls used as suicide bombers by Boko Haram in Nigeria were originally kidnapped because they were attending a Christian school. The missionaries beheaded by ISIS would probably still be alive if they were Buddhist. And when you hear the faith of some in the most difficult circumstances, doesn't it bolster your faith? Doesn't it encourage you in your walk with God? Because it helps bring suffering into perspective. Not that we compare our suffering to theirs, but we see how their faith enabled them to endure those trials with joy. And not just endure, but be proud to be called a Christ follower. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of the way that you live in righteousness, pursuing Jesus with your life. Be proud that you bear that name, Christian. Because God's glorified, he says, when his children faithfully trust him through the fiery trials because the name of Jesus is then exalted. I've shared this story before, but I've only got five stories. But my father was an air traffic controller in the 80s, if you recall. But he was a Christian, a faithful Christian man, devoted to his God, to his family, to the Word of God, and living his life the way God would have him live it. If you recall from the 80s, President Reagan was at the helm. They fired all of them. They fired all the air traffic controllers and got new ones. But can you imagine through all the time of of, uh, when they went on strike, all those air traffic controllers, my dad still walked into work, passed them every day, and did his job and provided for his family. Imagine the ridicule, the resentment, the hatred. 
Even after the was over, my dad was passed up for promotions that he was well qualified for. Other people got the promotions. My dad endured suffering for his Christian faith. And I hope my dad was never ashamed of that because it still serves as an example of faith to me to this day. I've given a lot of thought to this area of suffering for following Jesus today. Most of us will never have our, our life threatened because of our faith in Jesus, though that's not out of the realm of possibility, right? Or a family threatened. Most of us don't fear our church being burnt down or vandalizing our property or, or kidnapping our family because we're Christians. But there are a lot of other ways that we can endure suffering because of our faith in Jesus. When we think of the sufferings of Christ which Peter says we are sharing in when we suffer for his name, I think you get a better picture of the type of suffering that we can endure, that we can relate to. I think Isaiah 53.3 gives us a good descriptive list of some of the ways that Jesus suffered in this sinful world. Isaiah tells us he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Can you relate to that at all? Despised and rejected. One who was experienced with sorrow and the deepest grief. Ostracized by the very people that he came to save. Does that sound familiar at all in your life? You ever experienced that because of your faith? Have your relationships suffered? Maybe there's those family members that, you know, you used to be close to at one time. They don't want to talk to you as much anymore. You lost out on maybe promotions, advancement in your area of employment. Did you stop getting invitations to hang out, to go places with people that you used to hang out with? Because maybe your presence kind of puts a damper on their fun when the Christian's around. Here's what I take comfort in and even joy in as a follower of Jesus Christ. Whenever I'm despised or rejected because of my faith in Jesus, whether that hatred comes because uh, I choose not to participate in, in certain things of the world that the world lures me to join in, or whether it becomes because I, I believe the Bible from cover to cover, I take it as absolute truth and I'm ridiculed for it, which has happened, by the way, more than once, I can hold my head high and I can endure that suffering with joy because I know I'm in good company because my Savior suffered for me in a similar way. And when I suffer for his name's sake, I'm sharing in the sufferings of my Lord and Savior. There's satisfaction in that, isn't there? And knowing that Jesus suffered in the same way, knowing that, that Jesus knows my suffering, but he also empathizes with my suffering, and he's with me every step of the way through my suffering, and one day he's even going to reward my suffering for his name's sake. That drives me to want to experience his work in my life even more. 
That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's ambition as well. He considered it a divine privilege to suffer for Jesus. I think he wrote what could be his life mission statement in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. How was Jesus in His death? Faithful. Trusting His heavenly Father. The Apostle Paul understood that the suffering in his life was part of the plan of God to make him more like Jesus Christ. Christian, if we ever hope to learn from our suffering and not continue to suffer needlessly because we're surprised, oh, we're experiencing a trial again, or we resent the suffering, or even blame God for the suffering, which we do at times, then we have to adopt the mind of Jesus Christ in this life. We have to have this attitude in ourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, Hebrews tells us that in Hebrews 5, 8, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Are we learning obedience? I think that's the, that's the key. Are we learning to trust and obey God more through these trials that we're experiencing? Are we learning what God's teaching us? Otherwise, we're going to go on this wilderness wandering cycle, never learning, still suffering, always complaining, always grumbling, Never really learning, what God, what are you trying to teach me here? Because there's always some point. And he says there in verses 17 and 18, if you look there, he says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And keeping in mind, again, the context here, Peter is writing to believers, they already know Jesus, are already headed to heaven. And he's telling them how to live life on earth in such a way that you save your life. Your life is saved from wasting it. And his point is that if believers go through life being judged by an unbelieving world, aren't they? They're judging us all the time, right? They're mocking and ridiculing. We studied some of that this morning in the Psalms. And if God brings trials in our life to refine our faith, which is a form of judgment, imagine what awaits those who have rejected Jesus. They'll be judged in greater ways than even we are. Every one of us will be judged by our works one day. As Mama used to always say, only when life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so when Peter says, if, if the righteous are scarcely saved, that word scarcely really means with difficulty. You're saved with difficulty in this life. He's referring to believers who actually pay the price to have their life saved on earth. Have their life uh, saved for eternal significance. Because it's rare to find a believer who's willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus no matter the cost. Wouldn't you agree? Which again is the point of suffering. It's rare to find a believer who responds in faith to suffering and sees it as God's way of inviting us to make our life count for eternity. 
I don't know if you've experienced this or you notice this at times. God just has a way of not allowing his children to get away with stuff. Man, that used to bug the tar out of me as a young teenage believer. Because I always seemed to get in trouble for everything I did. But the people I was with always seemed to get away scot-free. It perplexed me. It caused me at one time to be angry with God. And just thinking, why do I always seem to be the one that's suffering the consequences here for everything I do while my buddies just seem to never get in trouble? I know the answer today. Because my Heavenly Father loves me. And He's not letting me go. He's brought his judgment into my life over and over again to teach me that life lived apart from him is no life at all. Life lived for my flesh, my own passions, my own desires is a wasted life. I know that now. I look back and I see, see that now. And I'm so very grateful for that, guys. Because today I get to experience the peace and the joy that comes with walking with Jesus. I get to experience the peace that the world doesn't understand. The Bible tells us it's beyond their comprehension. It's beyond our comprehension at times. I get to experience that today. God's never going to let me go. And I'm thankful for that today. God will never allow unbelievers to go to get away with their sin. Judgment will come to them as well, though at a different time. And I think what he's saying, if God can put me through the fire of life as one of his beloved children, God did that to his own son. He put him through suffering, unlike anything that we've ever experienced. As his beloved son, if he can do that to us, what will become of those who are not his children? It's a scary thought. So what do you do then? That's the last point. What's the solution then to suffering? Verse 19. Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if you're, if you're suffering because you're following Jesus with your life, you're really trying for your faith to to be part of your life and to live out the way God says we ought to live as his children. And not just because you're a bonehead, which everyone knows you are. You can trust God's path for your life. If you're suffering as a believer, striving to live out your faith, and you still suffer because of that, you can trust God. You can trust him every step of your life. If you remember from last week, uh, Peter uses two different words for the word will in this passage. Knowing God's will. You have the word thelema or thelema, which is the word for will, which means a desired or, or wished for, something that is desired or wished for. Follow me on this. This is important. The other word for will is bolema. It's a desire or a want implying planning and invocation of the will. It's to plan or to purpose. 
And what we talked about was God has both desires and plans. And thelema means that God desires something. Bolema means that God plans it. God's desires can be rejected. God doesn't get everything he desires. Doesn't that sound strange? 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness, but he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to, re- to repentance. That word, wanting, desires. God's will is that all would come to repentance. Let me ask you a question. Do all come to repentance? Well, then God, why didn't God get what he willed to get? It's because it gave us a will. Thalema speaks of God's desires, Bolema, his plans. And God's desires can be rejected. Listen, we know his spirit can be grieved. We can quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And Peter uses that word Thalema here again. In other words, God's desire for our life is a choice. His desire is that we would desire his desires. But he never forces his desires on us. But when we do walk with God through the fiery trials of life, because we desire to please God with our lives, we know that the suffering we're experiencing is God's will. And our faith will grow and we will glorify his name. That's how it works. And the solution is entrust your soul to the all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving, and sovereign creator of the universe. The word for soul here in that verse is the word suke, which is the word life. When we're overcome by suffering or trials as we walk with God through this sin-saturated world and these sin-riddled bodies that we still have to carry around, know that our, our Creator is working all things together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. God's purpose, folks, as believers, is to transform us from the inside out into the image of Jesus Christ to be more like Jesus, to make us more like Jesus in our life. So his purpose will be fulfilled in all of God's children at his glorious appearing, okay? God did purpose to transform us completely into the image of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen in this life, though the process begins now. One day it will be completed. When Jesus returns, right, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible tells us, we will be like him. We will be changed, transformed completely to be like Jesus. So God is working in us to that end even still today. But we don't always cooperate with that. He'll get it done. <laughs> Some of y'all might take a little longer. To, no, I'm kidding. Me. <laughs> but God works, if we can think about our life and our suffering and our trials, God works in such a way that everything we experience in life, especially the undeserved suffering, will grow our faith, grow our character, and a resolve to keep on following Jesus. 
Maybe you've uh, heard of Polycarp. I'll end with this. But in the Asia Minor city of Smyrna, which is in this area where Peter was writing, persecution broke out against Christians and some were put to death for their faith. But the agitated mob wanted to cut off the church there by getting rid of their leader, the now aged Polycarp. The believers hid Polycarp in a farmhouse. The leaders were taught that one should not seek out martyrdom, but neither should it be avoided if there was no choice, and it meant denying Christ. The authorities found the farmhouse and came to arrest the old man. He welcomed his captors as if they were old friends and gave them food and drink. He asked for an hour to pray before being taken to the arena. They relented. The hour stretched into two hours. The officers, overhearing his prayers, began to wonder why they were, what they were doing arresting an old man like this. Polycarp was brought into the arena. Instead of Polycarp begging for his life, we find the proconsul pleading with this aged bishop to just curse Christ so he would be released. Polycarp's reply, 80 and 6 years I have served my Lord and he has never done me wrong, essentially, is what he said. How can I do this to him? And then he was burned alive. The Christians present said there was a a joyful radiance on Polycarp's face as he died. Believers were allowed to bury his remains on February 22nd, probably around the year 155. Churches near and far from Smyrna observed this date in years to come and drew strength from the testimony of this old, old man who would not deny Christ no matter what it cost. It bolsters our faith. Our brothers and sisters around the world suffer for his name's sake. As an example, what are you experiencing today? What are you suffering? What hardships are you facing because you're a Christian? Can you entrust your soul to the Creator? Can you live by faith? Can you be still and know that He's God? And watch Him transform you, your endurance, your character, to be more like Jesus. That's the point of suffering. Father, thank you so much for this passage. Where would we be today if we didn't have your word to filter all of life's experiences through? I know every life in this room has been touched by suffering. Maybe directly, maybe indirectly because of their faith. Maybe there's some here that are still experiencing suffering because of their own sinful choices. We, we all still do that. We all still stumble. Whatever the reason, whatever the suffering, God, help us to stop, to turn our eyes to Jesus, to remember again that He came to this earth to suffer for us so that we might have a sympathetic high priest, so we might have an empathetic mediator, someone to come to with our suffering and say, Lord, you see me. 
You see my suffering. I'm trusting you with this. Please change me, grow me, stretch my faith. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be obedient so that your name is exalted in my life, whatever the cost. Help us, Lord, we pray in your blessed name, Jesus Christ. Amen.